part of the commitment as a pastor, not only to, to Mia and to the Roberts family, but to a congregation of the Lord's is that a pastor might preach the Word of God. And so that's where we're going to go next, is we're going to finish with the Word of God in the book of Revelation, where we've been uh, over the course of many, many months. We're coming up almost on a year that we've been in the book of Revelation. And, and uh, I'm not tired of it yet, but we're almost to the end, and that's the best part. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll go back to the book of Revelation. Father, uh, thank you for your word. As we heard out of Deuteronomy, you've commanded us to be talking about it all the time and instilling it into one another. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this time also to teach us, that we would never tire in our services of, of the gospel uh, coming from your word. I pray that you would guide my mind, my heart, and my lips to, to preach only that which you have ordained for me to preach. Although uh, we pray that you would grow us in the faith and even as there's much we may not understand about the book of Revelation or things future, Lord, we pray that they would still engender within us an excitement and eagerness for the day of Jesus' return. We pray this all in his name. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Revelation chapter one, uh, excuse me, chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles that are in the back on the table or on the side table over here. If you don't own a Bible... You're welcome to grab one of those and take it for your very own. Write your name on it. It's a gift uh, from the church, a gift from the Lord, uh, that you can have a Bible in your hands. This morning we come to Revelation chapter 21, and, and uh, it's an interesting chapter because there's lots going on that, to be completely honest, I have a hard time understanding because it's something future, and it's so absolutely magnificent that even though John sees it in his vision and is told to write these things, to me it's like, I mean, that's just a spectacle, not in an odd, weird way, but in such a magnificent way, it's, it's hard for me to even define it in my mind's eye. And so part of it, I just hold out there and say, okay, Lord, you told me that, that that's what it's going to be, and I just trust you. I long for that because you said it's going to be awesome. And so today, as I read through chapter 21, we're just going to basically read through the whole thing, and then I'm going to come around and give kind of just three points uh, of things that the Lord showed me while I studied it uh, this week. And so if you would read with me in, in chapter 21. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. I didn't know that. <laughs> the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. An extraordinary chapter. There's lots of description there, as was read. And I'm sure maybe you, like I, were just like, that's hard to really comprehend and understand. I mean, a gate that's just one big pearl. I mean, a, a, a city that's described less of a length and width, but also height. It's a cube. I mean, there's just things that kind of blow my mind as to how it'll really look. And part of it's like, is this an actual city or is it just a symbolic of a city? And me personally, because of the way it rolls through Scripture, I think there actually is a city of some kind, which may be disappointing to you country folk. Okay, I'm from the city. I'm from the city of Seattle. And the reality is when you look at Scripture, it started in a garden, but it ends in a city. So you better get used to it. Now, uh, the description here is that the people will be with God. And so the first point that the Lord really brought out to me is that while God creates this city, that it's going to be set apart. Amen. It said that everything that's not of God, that's detestable and people who didn't know Jesus outside, but everything that's inside now, it's going to be made new. It's not just the old heaven and the old earth recycled, but Jesus says, I'm making all things new. There's not going to be sin there. There's not going to be pain there. There's not going to be suffering. There's not going to be crying. There's not going to be sorrow. There will be no death. Why? Because it's all completely new. This city will be like nothing you've ever experienced before. Because every day of your life now, you're experiencing the ramifications of sin, pain, sorrow, and death. 
And that will not be. It's going to be set apart to something that's completely new and holy and for God's purposes for all of eternity. It'll be set apart. And so I had the description of everything that's wicked is outside. Everything that's good is set apart inside. That's pretty fantastic. Pretty fantastic that he would do that. And it it talks about these things that, that are unbelievable, but kind of to give us a description of this city being set apart, because what it's really describing is that it's going to be pure. There's going to be nothing unholy or, 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 or things that are um, like in gold when you have impurities. It actually says that the gold there will be so pure it will be transparent as glass. And you can get online, you can check with scientists and say, can gold be so pure it's transparent? I don't know the answer to that. People debate that, but I do know this. There are instances in our world where gold is transparent. For instance, uh, the astronauts, when they go up into outer space and if they're going to exit the, the shuttle or whatever they're riding on and they go out on those spacewalks and they put on those big suits, you know what I'm talking about? And they kind of float out there. They have all kinds of protective stuff on their body. And one of the things that they have on themselves, you've, you've ever seen that little uh, visor that they've got in front of their face, right? Kind of has that gold look to it. The reason is because they have a very thin film of gold that's on that visor, and they can see through it. The reason is because that gold filters specific harmful things from the sun from harming them. And so there are instances where in this creation already, gold can be seen through. It's flattened far enough. It can beat down far enough that you can actually see through it. They use it on astronaut suits. They also wear diapers in their suits. So I'm just telling you, that's what they wear. Um, I don't think we'll have to deal with diapers. Uh, when we get there, it's just going to be about the fact that everything is pure. Everything is right. It's just the way God intended it. It's going to be set apart and it's going to be awesome. Unlike anything that we could ever imagine. And so it's given to us in these huge ornate details. I mean, the street is made of gold and I want to highlight the fact that it's not streets of gold. You'll hear that in songs and different things. It's not streets of gold. The scripture says there's one street, there's one street. It's made of gold. And so it's even hard for me to imagine a city with just one street, you know, but that's what it says. So we'll leave that up to Jesus, but it's this awesome city. It also says it's hard to imagine, but that it's in heaven, but it comes down and is presented like a bride. So that it's not only that there's this physical city that may have buildings and a cube, but part of that is the fact that you are called the bride church. And so if you look at how things happen, There is this judgment that's in heaven where the throne is, but it describes how this city of Jerusalem, the people of God, are presented as a bride and it's brought down to earth. The description is almost not that you'll be living eternity in heaven, but that you'll be living eternity in this new Jerusalem, which is talked about coming down to this new earth. So a lot of that people debate, where will we be? Well, I don't think you need to get into all the arguments. We'll be in heaven. We'll be on earth. We'll be in a city. We'll be in the country. Here's the important thing. We go to number two, point number two. This is the whole point of God, and it is this, that in that place, that city that God prepares, the point is that God is going to be with you. The point isn't that you're going there and going to be infatuated with the street of gold or that there's going to be pearly gates or that your dog's going to be there. That is not the point. The point is that you will be with God and he will be with his people. It said in Revelation, this chapter. Verse three, it says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself 
will be with them as their God. See, God has been orchestrating this entire thing throughout the Bible and all of history, trying to develop and accomplish the plan of taking sinners who had betrayed him and saving them out of sin and death and hell and bringing them to himself. So that was the goal, was to put you in the presence of God. And that when you are there, he will be there. You'll be with God. That is awesome. The problem is, most of the time we talk about eternity, whether it's you thinking your eternity in heaven or you thinking your eternity on earth somewhere, whatever eternity looks like, most of the time we talk about everything in eternity except being with God. We're so excited about the gates. We're so excited about who else we're going to see there. But most of the time, people want to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there when we get there. It's all about him. His whole desire is that he would be with his people. Is it the desire of his people to be with him? He sure hopes so. He sure hopes so. I was talking to a friend recently who went over to Dollywood. And before he left, I kept saying, hey, if you see Dolly, tell her hi for me. And when he was over there, I texted, hey, if you see Dolly, tell her hi for me. Not that she knows who Jason Hudson is. And when he got back, I said, so did you see Dolly? He said, we were there for two days. He said, we went all over Dollywood and we did not see Dolly Parton one time because she was up in Canada. But you know what? Her picture was everywhere. You turn here, there's a picture of Dolly. You turn over here, there's a picture of Dolly. You ride this ride, there's a picture of Dolly. You go to this restaurant, there's a picture of Dolly. Dolly was everywhere, except she wasn't there. Here you have a whole amusement park, an entertainment center that people love to go to, and yet the person to which it is made after wasn't there. You never got to see her. You just saw pictures of her. That will not be how it is in eternity. The whole point of that place is God. And when you get there, guess what? You won't be standing at a ride just seeing a picture of him. You'll be with him. Will there be rides? I don't know. Will there be a buffet? I don't know. There will be a God who loves you more deeply than you have ever imagined or known. And even though right now you may see partially, then you will see in full. And he will look into your soul. And you will know his love like you've never known it before. Why? Because you will be in the very presence of God. Praise the Lord indeed. It's going to be awesome. And so on these days, if you're like, what are we going to do for all? Isn't it going to be boring? Learn to love the presence of the Lord. Learn to love the presence of the Lord. Because when we get there, we get to our third point. Not only is it going to be this fantastic place set apart in purity for God, and not only in that place is it going to be about God being with his people and his people being with God, but in that place, the whole point of the matter is that it's Jesus. Jesus will be the center of everything. And so in this chapter, it not only describes that it'll be set apart, and it not only describes you being with God and God with you, but it also says that everything you need, even if it's light, will be from Jesus. Amen. All the nations that said will come and bring their glory in. Why? So that they can get a gold star? No, so they can give their glory to Jesus. The worship goes to Jesus. The prophets go to Jesus. Everything goes to Jesus. And if it disappoints you that everything is about Jesus, then begin to question whether you know him now. Because if you're having a problem with everything being about him, eternity is not going to be very good for you. Not because you will be in eternity saying, really, it's all about him. 
the question you need to ask is whether you're going to be in that city at all. Will you be there with him? Because he is everything. Now, it is a struggle just because of our flesh. Even if you are a believer to say, well, he's everything on Sunday from 11 to, well, it's supposed to be till noon, but sometimes the preacher goes longer. So I guess Jesus actually gets from 11 to maybe 12, 15 sometime. He's everything then. But the rest of the week, it's mine. So it's where I want to eat. It's how I want to work. It's when I want to wake up. It's who I want to talk to. It's how I want to run my day. It's me, it's me, it's me. It's my life. It's not your life. It's Jesus' life. He's given it to you. You steward this life. And it should be about him now. You don't wait till the day when he returns and then takes you to judgment, brings you back to this new Jerusalem and you're with him. And then suddenly now it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus now. Get used to it. If you are a believer, it should be overwhelming your life right now about how awesome it is knowing that it's all about Jesus. Because the pressure is not on you then. He's got everything in his hand. He cares for you. And since it's all about Jesus, all your dependence is on Jesus. All your hope is on Jesus. It's not on your shoulders. What a relief. We don't come here and share prayer requests because it's up to the, just the deacons here or somebody else there or somebody else to get the job done. It's up to Jesus to care for us. Everything's about him, but yet most of the time when we approach life, we just go through with whatever what we want to go through. We slap the bumper sticker of God on our car. Here's my job. It's my job. I'll do it the way I want it. I'll make the money I want. I'll go in. I'll do it the way I want. And oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pray to Jesus that my boss doesn't get mad. And that's all the part that Jesus gets of our job. Amen. Oh, wait, but I need a raise. Jesus, you can take care of that part too, just as long as I get some more money. Yeah, we kind of... Just add Jesus on like he's an extra. No, he should be everything. He's everything about your job. He's everything about your kids. He's everything about our church. That's the way it should be. Here's here's what I would suggest. If you're having trouble handing something over completely to God, making him the center of that thing, ask him to be the center of that thing. And if you wonder whether he is the center of that thing, let let me give you a test. If you could say, absolutely, Jesus, take this thing away from me, and I'd be fine, and I would even rejoice without this thing, then he's the center of that thing. So if you said, hey, you know what? I got my truck. It's my truck. But Lord, if you wanted to take away my truck for whatever purpose that you have, you're in charge of my vehicle. You have it. And I'll still rejoice in that. If you could have that attitude, then he's the center of that thing. If you've got your schedule, and I'm not just talking about your schedule, but you're involved in your whole family schedule, and your schedule is berserk. And I know it is because I hear it all the time from people. I am scheduled up to here. I can't know that I can make it anywhere. Was the Lord in charge of your schedule? If the Lord came to you and said, I want you to give up this and this and this, would you do it and rejoice in it? Because he is everything to your schedule. But it might make so and so and so mad. Sometimes it's not because it's about you. You've made it about somebody else. Make that somebody else Jesus. Let him have your schedule. What about other people? Because sometimes when we talk about eternity, we've made eternity about somebody else. We hear way too much from our own lips 
man, when I get there, when I get there, man, I can't wait to see my wife who passed away. It's all about getting to my wife that passed away. Or you'll even hear it to this extent. I sure hope all dogs go to heaven because I want to see my dog. And it's all, I'm serious now. You know I'm serious because it's true. We are more concerned with seeing somebody that, yes, we love and was dear to us. We can't wait to see them, but that becomes the thing about eternity. And so in this life now, start to practice and say, hey, you know what? My relationship with my wife and my kids is so important to me. But am I at the point I could say, Lord, if you took them away from me, I'd be sad, but I'd still rejoice because you're God and you're in charge of my family. That is hard. That is hard. Should I get rid of my family to show that? No. You know, that's, that's not what we're asked to do. But the Lord is in charge. Amen. And everything is on the table. And we say, Lord, whatever you want to do with these things, you're the center of everything now and you're the center of everything for all of eternity. So get used to it. Because it's not a bad thing. There's something in us that by our humanity just wants to snatch that stuff back from God. You know what? You can't handle those things. You are finite. You can't do miracles. You can't keep track of your schedule. You can't keep track of your money. You think, you think, you think. No. Only God knows what everything needs to happen. Only He can see the future. The book of James, written by Jesus' brother, said this. He said, you shouldn't even say, on this day we're going to do this, and on this day we're going to do that. He said, you should actually say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and we will do that. See, James, Jesus' brother, even said, give your schedule to the Lord. If it's the Lord's will, then, because it's all up to Jesus. And since it's all up to Jesus, the criteria to even get in is Jesus. That day will come when he will return to earth. He will destroy his enemies and he will take his people home. There will be a great judgment. He will, he will, by his just judgment, cast his enemies into hell. And he will take his people, his bride, and he will take them home. The question is, how do you get into one of those two places? How do you get from being one of those people who are destined for his wrath into being people who are destined for his eternal love? And it's still about Jesus. Because when we could do nothing for ourselves to get rid of the sin and the filth and the ick and the death, when we couldn't save ourselves by anything we would do, we can't go to church enough, we can't pray enough, we can't give enough, we can't buy paintings enough. Sorry, Ronald. You can't do enough to earn your salvation. And so God earned it for you. And the way He earned it for you is He paid with the life of of his son. He had his son, Jesus, nailed to a cross and while he bled out there and died and looked at the people that he loved, he said this, it is finished. Amen. 
And the words that he used there is, it is paid, the debt is gone. And so all that they could not do for themselves, but had this whole judgment against them. I have paid that judgment. I have suffered the wrath of God. And now I have bought them and redeemed them to myself. And I am taking them to eternity where there is a city I'm preparing. It's set apart so I can be with them and they with me. And I will be the center so that they can sense the fullness of my glory and my love for all of eternity. Learn to love it because it's awesome. He wants to show you that glory now. He wants to show you his love now. He wants to show you his forgiveness now. He wants you to be his people now. It is awesome because you had a God who said their life is on the line. So I'll put my life on the line for them. And he bought you. And that's how you get in. He buys you. And then when you get into that place, it's not just rides and seeing pictures of him. It is being with him. You get to sit at his table. You get to walk with him. You get to be with God. That's how you get in. A lot of the world just kind of like, well, I kind of hope I get in. I hope I've done enough good to outweigh all the bad. No, no, no. It doesn't work by that. You will never earn your way by thinking you kind of tip the scales towards good. That's not how it works. This morning on the way to church, I was driving. I was just praying and just just worshiping the Lord this beautiful morning, just excited for church, went out in the middle of the road, runs a squirrel. My morning was going great. His morning, not so great, okay? He was probably having a good morning, collecting nuts or whatever squirrels do, ran across the road to get another nut, whatever they're doing. He runs and stops right in front of my car. He turned, sat up, and looked Right in my car. Here's a man who, honest now, I was doing the speed limit, but I'm flying at this squirrel. Now, he's got some time. He could make a decision, go right, go left, go anywhere, but the thing that is bearing down on him that could crush and absolutely kill him and cause him destruction. And you know what the squirrel did? I couldn't believe this. This is like out of a cartoon. I know the Lord set this up for just this illustration. The squirrel turned and covered himself with his tail. (laughs) That was his solution to save himself. It was just like, I don't want to watch this. I just hope it works out. And the reality is, I feel like the Lord gave us a picture. That is how most people on earth view salvation. I just kind of hope it works out. I'm just going to kind of blindly go through and I'm going to buy the devices I want. and I'm going to get the job I want and I'm going to be friends with who I want and I'm going to do and I just kind of hope it works out. Now, because God is a loving God. I looked in my rearview mirror and there was no squirrel. I never felt the bump. I believe he made it somehow. (laughs) It will not work out that well for those who say, I just kind of hope it works out. The only way to have hope is to recognize that Jesus paid for you and to say, then Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And in that moment, he, with all hope and assuredness, comes and washes you in his blood and makes you prepared and ready to go to that pure city to be with him as your God and to know that it's all going to be just fine. How many for you, that's your prayer when you get up in the morning? I hope just everything works out fine. Your prayer is answered in eternity. It's all going to be fine if you're in the blood of Jesus. 
if you're in the blood of Jesus. The book of Ezekiel talks about this temple too. There's lots more measurements, but the book of Ezekiel ends like this. The very last verse says, and the name of the city is this. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. That's the name of the city. When you hear that, are you like, yes, that's my city. That's where my God is. I can't wait to be there. Or do you just hope that you kind of make it in? Are you living for yourself now? The book of Revelation is awesome because it talks about the future. It's only awesome if you know Jesus. Otherwise, live it up now because it's all you get. This morning, the Lord's been reaching out and you just kind of feel that thing in your heart. That's not just your emotions kind of going. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit comes and it begins to plow and dig and plant His Word in your heart. And then the Lord asks this when you hear His Word. You kind of hear Him going like this. Come. He's beckoning you. He's wooing you to Himself. And you might be wanting to stay in your chair and just say, I just want to stay where I'm at because it's been comfortable. But you feel Him calling. And the Scripture says, if you hear the Spirit's voice today... Don't resist him. That's what it says. And so today, if you sense how much God loves you, what he's done for you, what's in store for those who are with Jesus, and you're feeling him say, come to me, do it. That's what faith is. You might say, well, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I kind of fear how things are going to work out if I just give myself to God. That's faith. He's God. He's got everything in control. You'll be fine. Your life will be better with Jesus than it could ever be without him. And so if he's calling and wooing you, today is that day where you say, okay. I'm not saying when he says come, you've got to come and put your knees right down here at this altar. What I'm saying is if he's saying come right now, plant your, the knees of your heart right in front of him. You can do it right in your seat. You can do it right in your heart. You can do it up here. I'd love to pray with you. But if the Lord is saying come now, I would come now. You know why? There is a day in the future when he will come. And there no longer will be an invitation to human beings saying to come. It'll be over. And you want to repent now before it's too late. Because there's coming a city and its name is the Lord is there. The question is, will you be? So, Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would do that powerful work in us. to help us draw near to you. Lord, this morning, if there's somebody who has never committed their life to you, but they feel that urge by the word and by the Holy Spirit, this gospel, this good news to come, I pray today that they would. That they would put aside all their fear, all their excuses, all their sin. And Lord, they would just bring all that and say, Lord, here's my life. I submit it to you. I give up everything and I ask you to forgive me. I pray that prayer for them right now. May this be the day. May they remember this day is the day they came to faith. And Lord, for those here this morning who have been called by your name, they, they are a believer, but man, that world has just entangled us in temptation and sin. And there's just so much we're having a hard time give up. Lord, today I would pray that you would again set us apart for your kingdom. 